Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This is Weekend Perspective. I'm Kitty Dunn. And today we're going to be talking about our public lands. What if the redwood forests had all been chopped down and turned into coffee tables? What if factories lined the river near Niagara Falls? Thankfully, that's not the case, as a group of forward thinkers more than 100 years ago thought our wilderness needed to be saved for future generations. My guest is Jeffrey H. Ryan, who's written a book called This Land Was Made for You and Me, How Clifford Pinchot, Frederick Law Olmsted, and a Band of Foresters Rescued America's Public Lands. Oh, got to take a breath after the end of that title. Jeff, thanks for taking some time out. Thank you for having me on. It's a subject I care dear, dearly about. Yeah, we, and I want to talk about your hiking the Appalachian Trail and all your hiking adventures. But uh, let's talk about public lands. Why did you decide to write this book? Did it, the idea come to you when you were out hiking in the wilderness? It did indeed. Um, I've been so lucky to have uh, hiked several thousand miles over America's public lands and um you know, at some point you start really appreciating the fact that they exist and start wondering about where they came from. So it all kind of uh, steered me toward this book, which took me further back in time than I thought I would go, which is kind of an interesting story. So you go over a bunch of different people. And now I look at the back of the book and um, I've heard of Teddy Roosevelt and being from Wisconsin, Aldo Leopold, we know who he is. We there's a, even a school named named it for him here in the Madison area. Uh, but wh- who are these men that you decided to write about, and what was it they did to make sure we would still have these public lands in their wilderness state as we have them today? Well, that's a great question. So it really uh, surprisingly to me started with Central Park in New York. Um, the guy who designed it, Frederick Law Olmsted, was interested in parks already, but more in the urban sense. Um, he had been to Europe a few times and had seen parks, particularly in England, and um, was very much influenced by that. And he ended up, by circumstance, getting the job as superintendent of Central Park, co-designer, as it were. But through a, a series of rather miraculous events. He ended up in the shadow of the sequoias in California. And when was in, this happening? In, 
in, in the mid 1860s. Okay. And somebody, his reputation that preceded him, and somebody said, Abraham Lincoln's about to give this chunk of land, Yosemite, to the state of California. We need someone to come up with a plan for how it will be managed. And that's when Olmsted really discovered the, the, the uh, grandeur of uh, Yosemite area and started advocating for this public land. And very interestingly, really came into the fact early on that Central Park, he was designing a park in an urban environment. In Yosemite, he was designing a park that nobody had, a vast majority of people hadn't seen, wouldn't see. Um, he was designing it for the future. But he realized that we needed to set aside such places, and that's what sort of began this, what I call, generational baton pass um, between him and the development of public lands in general. National parks, national forests, and wilderness areas would all come after him. The book is called This Land Was Made for You and Me, and I'm chatting with Jeffrey Ryan. So were, was there any pushback? Did, did people want to strip mine these lands or cut down all the trees? I mean, was there any kind of upward battle, or did people seem to agree that the, the lands needed to be preserved? It was very much a uh, groundswell of outliers saying uh, we can't continue to do what we're doing at the time um, America was being built out and there was an enormous amount of wood being consumed to build railroads, houses, factories, you know, uh, the things that made us what we are. But um, there were some voices saying the, the rate at which we're doing it um, kind of um, is part of this feeling that everything is inexhaustible. And these folks, particularly a guy named uh, George Perkins Marsh out of Vermont who wrote a book in 1864 was saying, you know, the rate that we're cutting things down is not sustainable. So there were some voices, but they were largely, some some people were starting to heed what they were saying, but the cutting was continuing and everything sort of came to a head in the early 1900s when the, the need for managed forestry became a rallying cry and basically established our national forests. Well, I know that national forests, I mean, we have some here in Wisconsin and actually doing my ancestry research, a lot of members of my family that came before me, they were all out in the woods cutting down trees or running them down the Wisconsin River to the Mississippi. I mean, that was a big part of our history all over the country at that time. It was indeed. And what was really interesting is that the first forester, Gifford Pinchot, was very adamant about the fact that he was not setting out to put foresters out of business. He was actually setting out to keep them in business. Um, and it finally, people started realizing on a broader scale that this was not an effort to halt forestry. It was to manage it, um, to make sure that the managing and, and harvesting of trees was sustainable, which at the time was um, starting to finally to gain speed and it's become the normal practice. 
I'm talking with Jeffrey H. Ryan about his book called This Land Was Made for You and Me. Now, you are quite the hiker. You like to travel across the country. So these different places that you talk about in the book, you've actually visited them. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. Well, many of them I have actually hiked across in, in, in regard to the national forests and national parks. Um, other places that I went to visit were the places where these uh, advocates for public lands were born and raised. So in the case of Aldo Leopold, I've been to Baraboo a couple of times to actually sit in the shack where he wrote much of um, his books. And also to northern Minnesota to go to the islands where Ernest Oberholzer was also advocating for wilderness areas and in particular the Boundary Waters. And all of these places, I think it was important for me to visit to try to get a sense of, to the degree that I could, of what were these surround, what was in these surroundings and the way that these people were raised that made them want to advocate for nature and for preservation. So that's always been a really fascinating journey for me to take, and I love doing it. It's, um, I think it's important to my writing whether it comes across verbatim or just informs my writing in general. So what was that feeling like, like, for example, being in Aldo Leopold's shack? Oh my gosh. It was, it was, it was like going to Mecca for me because I'd always read about um, his rehabilitation of that farm, which at the time was, was quite avant-garde. I mean, it was very progressive, to try to restore a piece of land that had been ruined as opposed to taking a piece of land that was already relatively um, un- unmanaged or unharmed by uh, human intervention. So that was really neat. And his love of that piece of land in particular on the Wisconsin River um, always came through in his writing. So I wanted to be there. I wanted to walk on the shore of the river. I wanted to get some sense of what he was experiencing during the seasons as he was writing. And it was just wonderful. It was really a great experience. Um, I only sat in the shack for a couple hours, but it made a big impact. So for folks who aren't familiar with what Aldo Leopold did there, what was the land like before he sought to bring it back to the old way? It was over-farmed. It had been a cornfield that was in constant production, and basically he calls his book a Sand County Almanac, which is uh, a reference basically to the soil. It was over-farmed, and there was really no uh, sustainable farming available on there, even any farming to be worthwhile at all. So he and his family moved there in the 1930s. They bought the hard scrabble farm and all that was left was this chicken coop. And he was all excited about it as he took his family up there. And I think they thought, what, have, what has he done? <laughs> but um, they, they started planting trees, uh, thousands of them, and kept doing it for 10, 12, 15 years until they finally started taking root and changing the landscape and he was noting all of this um, at the same time as you mentioned he was a professor in Madison uh, had an arboretum down there and was teaching kids there and on his farm yeah he was a so big it was cool. big 
advocate of the University of Wisconsin Arboretum that's right smack dab in the middle of Madison and is actually larger than Central Park. Right. Yeah, you you really should come visit. It's it's really awesome during the different seasons and the different trees and everything and flowers. It's beautiful. The book is called This Land Was Made for You and Me, and I'm chatting with Jeffrey H. Ryan. And um, you give a good history of what's happened with our public lands. What do you think is in store for them in the future? Well, I have actually hopeful news on that front. Um <laughs> Part of what I wrote about in the book was this ongoing debate between preservation and conservation. And really, for many, many years, decades, in fact, um, people identified with being on one side of the equation or the other. If they were in the, the um, interested in public lands at all, they sort of self-identified as a preservationist, meaning... They, they preferred the lands to be left alone, like uh, wilderness areas, for example. And then there were people who were advocating for conservation, such as Pinchot's model, which is take the forests, sustainably manage them, and they'll be available for recreation, timber harvesting, etc. And what's happening now is the debate is is receding. It's becoming more of a, we have a piece of land, what's the best way for all of us to benefit? And that's relatively new within the last decade or so. And there's been a lot of um, really exciting news on that front. Um, Restoration of land that has been clear cut and put on the market for not much money and rehabilitated, uh, that kind of thing. And also, just in general public lands that are being managed for both sustainability and recreation and preservation all on the same plots. So that's that's pretty neat. I'm always afraid somehow that certain politicians are going to want to sell the public lands off and put up condos. I don't know. Do you really see any of any, are you worried about anything like that? Or do you think that it's a strong enough movement that our public lands are here to stay? And what should people do to assure we have them into the future? Well, uh, that's a great question. So I I don't think we can take our public lands for granted. I do think that the vast majority of them are protected by mandate and, uh, and legally Uh, arbitrated end use. But that being said, I am worried um, about the future of public lands in that I'd like to see more kids getting outdoors and uh, making a connection with nature at a young age so that they become advocates for those lands. Um, Again, I see some hope there. There are some cool initiatives to develop outdoor clubs in high schools and younger to help get kids back outside and put down the tablets and the phones and at least for part of the time and make those connections. And that's exciting to me. Um, It was really important to me as a child to have those experiences. And so I feel very strongly about those initiatives and the need for them. The book is called This Land Was Saved for You and Me, and I've been talking with Jeffrey H. Ryan. Is there a website or anything you'd like to point people to? Sure. Um, My website is jeffryanauthor.com, 
And uh, you'll find my books there, including the ones about hiking the Appalachian Trail and also some hints and tips about how to get out into the outdoors and enjoy first backpacking trip or how to buy a pair of hiking boots and things like that. So check it out if you're interested, please. I bet you've gone through quite a few hiking boots yourself. I get about a thousand miles per pair. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Jeffrey H. Ryan, the book is called This Land Was Made for You and Me. Thanks uh, for taking some time out. I think I'm going to go play outside now. There you go. Please do. All right. Enjoy. Take, thank you right. for having me on. All right. Take care. And thank you for listening for Weekend Perspective. I'm Kitty Dunn. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade used with permission.